This is the Key Life Podcast, where we talk everything automotive keys. We are produced and sponsored by AKG Academy. For more information, go to akgacademy.com. All right, and here we are back again with JB Gates on our manufacturer's journey. We've covered a lot of the domestic, some of the, you know, over the pond manufacturers. We've got some more to talk about here today, and we're really excited to get back into it. And we were talking about going through a Volkswagen and Audi group. Obviously, some, some interesting things going on there. And uh, with it, why don't we go ahead and jump in? JB, you want to you talk about what's going on with VW and Audi? Sure, of course. So I'll tell you, the Volkswagen Audi group sec- segment of cars is always been more complicated, in my opinion, than any of the other manufacturers out there. There's a little nuances that really trip you up. The Volkswagen Audi group folks are notorious for <clears throat> using leftover parts. So let's say they're making a, a Beetle in the production line, and then they choose to make an EOS afterwards. Well, they might have some Beetle ECUs left around, left laying around, and they will take and write a custom piece of software and reuse that uh, EOS ECU in a Beetle or vice versa. So then when we go to program the keys to it, the ECU that we expect to be in the vehicle isn't there. So it's always been a problem with these vehicles, and they're continuing to be a challenge you know, in some model years around 2015, they started implementing this MQB system, which is still a ID48 transponder, but it's a different type of encryption. Uh, it's a higher level of encryption. And there's been a couple of versions, at least the way I refer to them. And th- they're very difficult, you know, outside of a dealer key and factory software, there has traditionally been limited options to program keys to those vehicles. There's been some advances recently in that. Uh, Britis has come out with a uh, EEPROM reader that will read the secured processor in the instrument clusters on these cars and then help to prepare the data. You can read some data with BVDI2, and then you would engage with a third party who could calculate either your MO data and or your synchronization data, but then there's a substantial cost to that. And I know X-Horse has just recently released a, a reader for their key tool plus the, the tablet version that is supposed to read the secured processors in these instrument clusters. So there's a lot going on here with the MQB vehicles for sure. <clears throat> and the difficulty of programming keys outside of the factory software is, is pretty substantial at this point still. So a lot to unpack there, JB. So I- for someone who hasn't done this, these vehicles in the past, how would you identify or, or recognize when you've got kind of this unique module situation? So specifically, when you're working on one of these MQB cars, you know, one of the easiest ways, at least for me, to identify them is to look at the instrument cluster. You know, Volkswagen's immobilizer systems have always been heavily centered around the instrument cluster. So taking a look at the cluster has always been the way that I do it. So you identify these MQB vehicles, whatever version MQB it is, based upon the cluster, who it's made by, Johnson Controls, or, or so on. And then once you identify the cluster, you have a good idea of what system you're working with. And then obviously that's going to dictate the key. If you have an add-a-key situation, you can take a look at the key, the design of the key, and the transponder in the key. That'll help you kind of decide which way to attack it as well. But but basically, if you run into one of these MQB systems, you know, you, you, do have, you do have a pretty good challenge in all keys loss. Now, if it's at a key, there are a lot of programmers out there that are handling that now. But the problem is we're seeing is 
that the aftermarket MQB keys are not very reliable. They're difficult to get the vehicle to accept. And then the, the trap that a lot of guys fall into is they have this aftermarket key. They're able to read the data. They're able to calculate the immobilizer data and the synchronization data and then pre-code this key and they try to program it, but the vehicle doesn't like it. So now if it was an add a key situation, they go from a vehicle that was running to a vehicle that isn't running. And so the keys are a problem too. So it sounds like fun all around with this. So, so what, what, what model years are we talking about here largely? Well, starting in 2015, some of the models started adopting MQB and then, you know, pretty much anywhere from around 19 and up, everything we see is going to be MQB. There's a few exceptions, but most of them are this newer system that you're running into now, 19 and up, and they're just a challenge all around. Yeah. Okay. So, so it sounds like there are some, some ways to work it in the aftermarket tool space. Maybe we can switch and talk about how you would do this with the OEM uh, software uh, start to finish. Well, so I'll tell you, you know, access to the OEM software for these vehicles is, is very helpful. The, the process is pretty simple, but the access to the software is probably the least important part of the equation. You know, if you're going to use the factory software on Volkswagen Audi Group vehicles, you know, because of the pre-coding that's required in, you know, roughly 2006 and a half and up, the only way you can program a key with the factory software is if you have a pre-coded key. And the real effective way to do that is to get it from the dealer. Now, a lot of dealers aren't interested in working with us in the aftermarket. Now, there is a path with NASTAF to order keys by VIN pre-coded, uh, but that process is a little bit clunky and, and doesn't always seem to fully work. But if we're going to talk about, you know, the process in programming a key with the dealer software, the steps are going to be, you know, obviously procure ownership documentation for the vehicle that satisfies NASTAF and satisfies the manufacturer. You're going to order the key by VIN. You're going to wait a few days for the key to come in. The keyblade is going to be cut if you order by VIN. It's going to be pre-coded when you order by VIN. And then you're going to take your Otis software and subscription with your pass-through, whether you choose to use the, the VAS interface or whether you choose to use an aftermarket interface like the AEZ Flasher 3 or uh, Cardac 3. They all work. And then basically you're just going to go in. The Otis software is going to scan the vehicle. You know, obviously you're going to want to put a battery maintainer on the vehicle. Otis is going to scan the vehicle look at all the codes. It's going to want to kind of give you a repair path. If it finds any codes, you're going to use like the special function and adapt keys, and you're going to program keys. You probably, you know, by the time you have the key in your hand and have the maintainer hooked up and, and get going, you probably, you know, have 30 to 45 minutes worth of programming and then, you know, scanning afterwards, just clearing codes, make sure everything went the way that you wanted it to go. Got it. Okay. Well, it definitely sounds like an easier path than uh, with the aftermarket tool, certainly. It is if you if can get the keys. If you can't get the keys, then it's something that is not really workable for you. Yeah, fair enough. So w within the aftermarket tool space, you know, you, you talk about a Breedis, X-Horse. Can you, can you take us through the process? Like take us through an example, maybe in the last few months that you've done using an aftermarket tool set. Okay. So... <laughs> Let's say VVDI, for example. So you would connect to the vehicle. If this was an all keys lost solution situation, you would connect to the vehicle and you would basically read three files out of the vehicle. 
And those three files would then be presented to a third party individual company, whoever, to calculate the immobilizer and the synchronization data for you that you would need to pre-code and then program the key. There's currently no easy way for us in the aftermarket to calculate this. So there's a you know few guys and they're, you know, across the country and, and across the world and different places that know how to calculate these data for you. And they charge you for the luxury of that calculation. So read those three files, get your immobilizer data, get your synchronization data, pre-code the key, and then program the key using that synchronization data and the VVDI too. It's not that difficult of a process in some regards but you have extra steps. And, you know, then as the different types of MQB progress, you know, then we have locked processors and and a lot of other things to overcome. You know, I, I just described something that sounds pretty benign, but the the first few you do are are not not very easy for sure. Are there any classes you would recommend for, for folks looking to get more proficient in these vehicles? So, you know, there really isn't anybody offering any MQB-centric classes. We just at the AKG Academy taught some classes in Dallas, Texas recently, and we did have a class there, and it was taught by some instructors that have affiliation with the British, and those guys did touch on MQB in that class. So anywhere that you can take a class about, you know, Volkswagen Audi Group vehicles that's related to a British is probably a really good place to start. Um, but as far as I know, no one's doing just MQB only classes. Got it. No, that, that that's helpful. I mean, I have to imagine when you think about 2015 up for VW Audi, that that's a, that's a huge swatch of vehicles. So obviously a lot of opportunity there when there's lost keys or, or added key opportunity. So maybe we can talk a little bit about pre 2015 and, and what the dynamic was during that period of time. Sure. Of course. So, you know, as I mentioned a couple of times in this podcast already, you know, in my, in my opinion, Volkswagen Audi Group vehicles are about the most difficult to deal with. And so they've always had their challenges. You know, back when, when the transponder key started in the Beetle around 99, you know, we had trouble reading the pin code on those vehicles. And, you know, it was always a hassle. Try to find the engine code and then try to read the pin code through multiple different means with your, your T code or your MVP Pro whatever the case might be, and, and then even kind of come up empty-handed. So what I became accustomed to doing was taking the instrument cluster out and then reading the data from the cluster by EEPROM and then using something like the Tango or the Mirror Clone to get the pin code and then go ahead and program the key through OBD. Some people go ahead and program the key by EEPROM, but it was just the way that that I taught myself to do it. So it's the way I stick with. So... You know, those were some of the older Beatles that you dealt with, 99 to 05. And then you get into the 2006, 2006 and a half and up, your vehicles that need pre-coding. And this is something that trips up a lot of guys that we help during technical support, right? They they don't understand about this pre-coding requirement. So when I say pre-coding, what I mean is there is vehicle-specific data that has to be written to the key before it can be programmed to the car. So 2006 and a half and up, vehicles, you need this pre-coding data. So you would take whatever programmer that you are using, you would read this data, you would write that vehicle-specific data to the key, the key to the transponder, excuse me, the transponder gets locked, and then the key can then be programmed by OBD from there. So pre-coding is a step that a lot of people miss. 
And uh, the other thing that I see is that folks will try to pre-code the incorrect transponder type. So on your older Volkswagen Audi Group vehicles, you had a ID48 transponder. And then for the 2006 and a half and up vehicles, you have a, a CAN transponder. So it depends on manufacturer. They, they're formatted in different ways. They call it a TP23, TP24, TP25. Depends on the, the manufacturer. So like for Volkswagen, TP23. So I've seen a lot of people try to pre-code a non-CAN transponder. And even though that transponder will take the data, it's not formatted correctly. So even after the pre-coding, they think they have the key pre-coded, but they don't causes more trouble for them. The other thing too is we see a lot of folks and they don't understand that the length of the pre-coding data is important. So you've got to have seven bytes or 14 bits. So you got seven sets of two numbers or 14 numbers. However you want to look at it, doesn't matter. It's all the same. And you need to look at the last two bits or the last byte and make sure that you have actually valid pre-coding data there. People a lot of times will see zero, zero there and assume that that's good data. Well, it's not. So they've only got six bytes of the pre-coding data. So if they don't have the seventh byte right, the last two digits, the pre-coding data is therefore wrong, then the key doesn't work to the vehicle. And just like I mentioned in, you know, these MQB vehicles where the aftermarket keys are not the greatest, if you pre-code a transponder incorrectly for one of these 2006 and a half up vehicles and you program it to the car, the car basically goes into safe mode. And now you have a car that's not going to start any longer. If it was at a key, you've got to get that key out of there and start fresh. There's a lot of nuances and, and I might not be doing a great job explaining it because I am talking about so much information in a short period of time. So I don't know, we, we may have to at some point break this down into maybe a couple of segments because there's a lot here. So, so if, if you're new to VW, where would you start and where would you stay away from? I would say run the other direction. <laughs> but that's just my own personal opinion. I have a lot of difficulties with these cars and I think that anybody who does very many of them would say the same thing. And, and matter of fact, in, in my own shops, you know, my wife just cringes when she sees me put a Volkswagen on the schedule because she knows that nothing is going to go as planned. So even though I'm joking, run the other way, th there are some times where, you know, you should exercise, you know, a good common sense. And if, if you don't know, Volkswagen Audi Group is not one of those manufacturers you can just wing it. You know, this isn't a, a Chevy Silverado, you know, you can't just muddle your way through it and figure it out. So I'd recommend that you take some training for sure. Plenty of qualified instructors out there that are teaching good classes, you know, and one thing that my experience tells me is that no matter how many pieces of programming equipment that you have that relate to Volkswagen Audi Group vehicle, you'll never have enough. You know, I, I own a multitude of programmers. I use the, utilize the factory tool and there are times when it's still not enough. You still run into some situation where you just can't get it done through OBD. And you're doing something by EEPROM or, or you're having to adapt some other module that has had some problems during key programming. There, there's a lot. So what I would say is if you're going to enter into the Volkswagen Audi Group market, you need to go in with your eyes wide open and know the jobs are not going to be easy. They're not going to be a slam dunk. You are going to have to invest in a good amount of equipment, a good amount of experience or a good amount of time gaining experience and a good amount of education to have any success whatsoever. 
if you leave any one of those components out, it's just going to be nothing but frustration. So just go into it with your eyes open for sure. That's uh, a lot of words of encouragement, I guess, there, JB. <laughs> I don't know if they're <laughs> encouragement or discouragement, but but it's the truth either way. So given all of the complexity, given all of the, I guess, risk is really really the, what I'll call it. And we've never talked about this before on, on, on our with our time together, but how do you price for it, right? So every time it comes in, your wife's saying, oh, boy, here we go. He's, he's, got, he's got an hour block. This is going to be an afternoon. You know, how do you price for it? Uh, I price them all high. Um, you know, there are a lot of guys that I talk to in the course of technical support, and, and, and they're always very concerned about what the dealer charges. And, and you know, it's, it's okay to be aware of what the dealer charges. But, you know, uh, you also need to keep in mind that you are not doing something the dealer can do. Let, let's say, for example, on a lost key situation, <clears throat> you know, if you can roll out there and make a key for them the same day they call, that's not something the dealer can do. The dealer must verify, you know, all the ownership documentation, which you need to, too. But, I mean, they can't read the pre-coding data from the car, pre-code a key, and get you going that day. So, you know, I, I would say, for, for as a general rule, if you're an automotive locksmith today and you don't do Volkswagen Audi Group vehicles and you have some kind of pricing matrix and, you, you know, you, you understand what your cost of doing business is, you know, I would encourage you to charge 25 to 30% more than you normally do on any other job, even with the same related skill level, because there's always going to be some curveball. There's always going to be something that doesn't work. Um, and there's always going to be some piece of equipment that you need to buy. So... I encourage anyone listening to price them high. That's that's really helpful. Obviously, in, in a lot of cases, we always are talking about, you know, what what are others pricing you these things at? But you know, that, that convenience factor and the fact that that's something that others just can't do has value, right? So you know, charge accordingly to your point. Okay, so so for those folks that are just getting into it, outside of running away, you know, <laughs> kind of, I guess that's the the place we started, and we're, we're moving back to the middle here on this one. What are like the one or two things that if you walk up to that car that you should run away, right? If you're new to VW Audi, this or that is is in front of you. You say, hey, thanks very much. I, I can't help you. I'm sorry. Okay. I'll answer that one. But I want to touch on something you just said. It, it, it's something that I always talk about in our classes that we teach. So, you know, you said people are always concerned about what the other guy's charging. And, and, and I would encourage anyone and challenge anyone listening to, be aware of what others charge are charging, but don't let that be a factor in how you price your jobs. Like you have a certain amount of expenses that require you are that re, you have that uh, you need to get this job done, whatever the job might be, and you also need a certain amount of money that, in profit to reinvest in your business so that you can grow. And you need to calculate what the return is on that job for you. And you need to price the job based upon what you need to continue to grow. We've talked about this previously. And, you know, if you've listened to some of the other podcasts, you, you've heard me kind of get on my soapbox about this. And, you know, so many times I, I see guys and gals in our industry pricing these jobs at whatever price based upon what their competitor in town does. And then pretty soon, six months, a year later, they have priced their prices so low that they can't afford to reinvest in their business. They can't afford to keep going. So 
Don't set your prices based upon what everybody else has their prices set on. You set your prices based upon what it takes for you to make a living and to reinvest in your business. So anyways, I'll get down off the soapbox for a second there. And so what should I run away from if I see in a Volkswagen Audi group vehicle? Okay, that's, that's pretty easy. If you walk up to that vehicle and you see the ignition is in the dash and not in the column and you don't have a lot of experience in Volkswagen, politely decline the job. <clears throat> because what that's going to be is going to be an electronic ignition switch, which means there's going to be a steering lock. Most people are going to call this system a Kessie system. <clears throat> and in a good majority of those vehicles that have an ignition lock in the uh, dash, you're going to be reading the data out of the steering lock module, which is on top of the steering column, which means you're pulling the steering column. And this module is not designed to be taken apart. And you're taking it apart, the case, and you're reading the data and putting it back together. And it's a big, big job. So if, you, if you're not super experienced and you see an ignition cylinder in the dash, run. All right. That's, uh, that's a good take-home thought there for sure. So I guess my, my, my last two questions, the first is, is what is, there's never a perfect VW Audi as, you, as you've made it abundantly clear, <laughs> but if there was one you know, model and year range that you were to uh, kind of dip your toe into the VW Audi waters, what, what would it be? Your opinion, of course. <clears throat> <clears throat> So I would have to say, as long as you have some experience in EEPROM key programming, and I would encourage you to have experience in EEPROM key programming if you're going to get into Volkswagen, I would say any of your Passats that take a slot key, that's probably about the most routine job that you'll find. It's done by EEPROM. You're basically pulling the glove box out. You are getting to the comfort module behind the glove box. You're unplugging a few plugs. You're disassembling that comfort module, removing the clips. There's an eight-leg EEPROM device in there. You read that EEPROM device. You take your new slot key. You write it into that dump. You write the dump back to the module, and then you program the remote on the slot key. I'm afraid to even verbalize it, but I'm going to say I've never programmed one of those and had any trouble. Like everything just went routinely. Probably the only Volkswagen immobilizer system that I could say that about. But in my experience, that that's the one that just goes the way that it should go. The only only trouble, there is a caveat, of course, there always is. Only trouble you ever have is every so often I've noticed where like if I'm programming the remote with Autel, it doesn't work on the immobilizer side so that I need to then back out, go to the diagnostic side, find the control channel and program it. But as for, you know, what one of these immobilizer systems I've had the least trouble with, it'd be Passat with a slot key. All right. Well, apparently you shouldn't schedule another Passat anytime soon. You, you, know, you don't want to jinx yourself. No doubt. One. No doubt. Uh, and, and, and if somebody does run into any issues, what, what should they do? What's, what's the, the best first step for them? Well, I, you know, I would hope that they have purchased their keys and or their programming equipment from us at AKG, or they can call us for technical support. And then we can help them, you know, be prepared. You know, if you're new to Volkswagen Audi Group vehicles and you're calling us for technical support, like we're saying here in this, in this episode, there is a lot of things to know. So just go into it with some respect and you'll really be in a lot better shape. But yeah, hopefully they would call us for technical support. 
Now, if they didn't buy the keys and or the programmer from us, you know, then hopefully that they've got a friend who's knowledgeable. And, and again, I've talked about this multiple times. This is where networking in our industry comes into play. Network with others that have the same skill level as you, that have less skill level than you, and that have more skill level than you. Like <clears throat> having a, a, a wide variety of phone-a-friend options in, in our industry is always important. That's great, JP. As always, a ton of really helpful and useful information. And, and any last thoughts you want to share with our listeners? Well, you know, you typically in these segments ask me, like, what's my horror story? And uh, the truth is, like, almost all Volkswagens, in my I opinion, was, I are... I was going to avoid that because the whole, the, whole, the whole segment has been about horror stories. So I was just going to go right past that question. But if you've got a, like a, just a complete horror story, I meant like, it was Halloween recently. So, I mean, just like the, the worst of the worst, I guess, by, by all means. Oh, I, I mean, we could, we could spend hours and hours and hours. You know, I mean, I... I I can't even think of like which one is the worst. I mean, they're 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 all equally terrible. I could think of one right off the top of my head. I had a customer bring me a 2012 Passat, and they had decided that the instrument cluster was bad. And I say they, the dealer had decided the instrument cluster was bad. <clears throat> so the customer decided to replace the instrument cluster. And they couldn't do it for whatever reason, had it at another shop. I don't know all the details. It came to me with one cluster that was dead and the used cluster, which worked. And I was trying to get the security data, the component security data, the PIN, MAC, and CS from the ECU. And they neglected to tell me that the ECU had been changed as well. So I didn't follow all my protocols and, and I, I didn't have a working key to the car. So I didn't turn the ignition on. and. And when I read the data from the ECU, uh, I didn't quite catch that the VIN wasn't right. I should have, you know, I, it was, it was a rookie mistake. So I got the component security pin and Mac and, uh, wrote it to the cluster and, uh, programmed a key to the cluster and could get the vehicle to turn on, but I had all kinds of configuration issues. So I, I kind of led myself astray and I ended up using Otis. And somehow Otis did something that it shouldn't have done, which it pulled data from the cluster and actually changed data in the ECU. And I had a backup of the ECU, which was fine. But then the component security in the car was all out of whack. And I mean, it was a complete, a total nightmare. It took days and days and days. And I, and I, and I finally got the car running and I got everything um, back the way that it should be. And then there was a discrepancy between the mileage in the PCM and the mileage on the instrument cluster. And before I could get that straightened out to where the vehicle actually showed mileage instead of showing an error, the customer wanted to come pick it up. And the interesting part of all this was the customer was in Illinois. And in Illinois, you know, there is, that's an inspection state. And they go through all this inspection of checking all the VINs and the modules and the mileage and all this. And, and I said to him, I said, well, this is never going to pass inspection in Illinois because the mileage shows error. And he said, well, it's good enough for me. So I'm not sure what he actually ended up doing, but it, it was much more complex and in-depth than I even have time here to explain. But it was, it was so painful, so painful. So apparently the Passats aren't always the easiest. Well, this was not a slot key. This was a bladed key. <laughs> Fair enough. To be great as always. You know, my, my takeaways from here is get some education, make sure you have the right tools, definitely price it appropriately. 
and probably most importantly, have nerves of steel if you're going to get in on the VW Audi uh, programming game. Any, any, any last takeaways, JB? Just know that everything that can go wrong will go wrong with Volkswagen Audi Group vehicles, and then things that you never imagined could possibly go wrong will go wrong, and circumstances you never could have dreamed up will appear. And if you are okay with all those things, and I say that kind of in jest, but there, there, there is lots and lots of issues. So go into them with your eyes wide open for sure. All right, JB. Thanks so much for your time as always. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next time. It's my pleasure. Thank you. If you like what you heard on our podcast today, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can get more information at akgacademy.com. We really appreciate your partnership and look forward to chatting with you again.